Hello, everyone. I want to let you all know that um, we have two new members, Greg and Dana Garver, which are over here. Don't look. Some of you started looking, um, but they're right there. Yeah. So um, they placed membership. I talked to them, and I just want to invite anyone to know that um, if you'd like to talk about becoming members here at the church family here, we want to talk to you about that, and we've got a whole spiel. You have to buy into the program. Um, no, I'm kidding. Kidding. But uh, I did tell Greg that, and he goes, well, that's a problem. So that was a good answer on his part. Um, but we are also going to have a Sunday school class starting up next month. Um, it's called What We Believe, and it's going to be in that classroom, and it's, it's for new believers or new attenders here. And we just want to give a basic class on what we believe here. And so that's a great place for you to have questions and be a part of that. Um, Rod will be teaching that when they get back. I'll start it, and then Rod will be teaching that in the back classroom. Um, so we just want to invite all of the new believers or new attenders to be a part of that. With that, there's something else that you all need to know that is going to greatly affect everyone in this room. The road work is starting soon in St. Joe, okay? And I have been assured that it's going to get horrible for a time. It is needed, so we don't need to be negative or complaining, because it is greatly needed in this area, but they are going to go down about two to three feet and remove that much of the road. And that's going to make getting here at times a little more difficult. So here it is. Plan accordingly. Okay? Also, State Road 1 railroad crossing will be closed for a while because that whole thing is going to be remade. Okay? So if you normally come from that way, don't. <laughs> Just know. So this entrance may be blocked a little bit, which is why we have one over here and one over there. So there is going to be a way to get here. You just might have to drive around a little bit, okay? But just know that is coming. Kids, there is no junior church, so make sure you have your bulletin things and fill them out for your candy afterwards. In our Sunday so far, in our overview of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have seen the focus of these four different accounts of Jesus has slightly been a little different. And in God's infinite wisdom, God has brought these together to help us all get a better understanding of who Jesus is, while at the same time showing continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Ezekiel 1.10 says, Their faces look like this. Each of the four had a face of a human being, on the right side, they had the face of a lion, and on the left side of an ox, and also had the face of an eagle. And it's this weird creature, these cherubim. In this vision, Ezekiel saw these four faces, a man, an ox, an eagle, and a lion. Um, going to the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, we also see these exact same four creatures around the throne room. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal, in the center and around the throne were four living beings, and each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was that of a lion. And the second was of an ox. third had a human face, and the fourth was an eagle in flight. These four faces, um, these four animals, were symbols of the four areas of the tribes of Israel. The lion was the symbol of the tribe of Judah. The ox was the symbol of Ephraim. Man was the uh, symbol of the tribe of Reuben, and eagle was the symbol of Dan. Judah the lion camped on the east. Opposite is Ephraim the ox on the west. Dan the eagle camped to the north, while Reuben the man to the south. And you can see that right here. I've shown this a few times. 
these creatures represented the four areas around the temple, and they all point towards the central thing of God. And once again, we're going to see these four areas, four accounts that surround the devotion of God, and that is Jesus. The four Gospels are a picture of Christ, the lion, the king, the ox, the servant, and today, man. The lion is the symbol, oh, I just said that. And today we look at Luke in this series called Leon. And just so you all know, I did give a candy bar to Jonathan, a Snickers, because he remembered how to say it. And I gave him the share size, hoping he would share with me. He gave it to Greg Munster. No more candy bars for Jonathan. But so, in this Leon, which is good news that, uh, that Luke records, we're going to see Luke shows the humanity of Jesus more than any other gospel. That is the first blank there. Luke shows the humanity of Jesus. Here's something really interesting. In the Old Testament, you're going to find people, the heroes of the Bible, who were privileged to have personal encounters with God. These encounters were so powerful that they came out of that encounter radically changed. Just a few. Jacob personally wrestled with God, and out of it, he not only had a limp, but he came out of it conscious that he needed God in his life always to have a blessed future. Um, in the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw a vision of God's majesty, his majestic glory, and came out of it surrendering his life to God's call on him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experienced God's presence while they were in a very hot furnace, and they came out of it without a scratch, even more dedicated to God. And while, without a doubt, these encounters made big differences in the lives of these people. They were never the same after their encounter with God. They were honored, and those were very slow or separated in how many people got to do that. Then you come to the New Testament. And to fulfill so many prophecies, Jesus the Messiah came to live on the earth. And instead of just having a few people scattered throughout time, you have all people being able to come and personally meet, personally live with Jesus, to know him personally. And we all know that after living here for almost 33 years, he allowed four men to document his life, teachings, and his ministry. So we've looked at the first two, Matthew and Mark. Today, Jesus is the focus of Son of Man. That's a weird phrase in today's terminology, a Son of Man. Well, of course, you're not the son of an alien. You're not the son of a goat. It's We are the Son of Man. But in Jewish times, that was very pointed and they knew what they were talking about. Son of Man is common because in Ezekiel and Daniel, it was a common term for God, the Messiah, coming to be with mankind. And when Jesus uses the phrase Son of Man, he is declaring, I am God and I am you. I am man. I am God and I am flesh. Luke, the author of this, really points to this. If you ever wanted to know and, and understand the humanity of our Savior, Luke's the book for you. Matthew was a disciple. Luke 
was not part of the 12 disciples of Jesus, but he was a medical doctor by profession. He joined the Apostle Paul during his second missionary journey. Uh, He became a loyal friend to Paul and remained with him until Paul was executed. Luke is a Gentile. He's He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. Okay? Um, He was not an eyewitness. He wrote two books, though, of the Bible. Anybody know the second book? Acts. That's right. We have the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Acts. Really, you could say it that way. And it's part one and part two. Uh, He carefully researched and investigated all that he needed to before writing his two books. Um, We can see that he was a physician in the words he uses. He talks about the anatomy of Christ at times, the piercing of of him in the side and blood and water flowed. Um, It gives such a high profile in this to all of Jesus' healings. And as a medical doctor, he would have understood the differences that it would have taken to have these miraculous healings. Scholars have noted that Luke has an outstanding command of the Greek language. His vocabulary is extensive and rich. When I was taking Greek classes, we had to go through the book of Luke because it is tough Greek. It is exceptional. It is the top grade for scholars. And so it's a very detailed, it's a very researched, and it's a very thorough book. This book was written around 85 A.D., which you'll notice, if you remember... Matthew and Mark were written several years before that. The beginning of both of his books, in in, uh, Luke, the Gospel, and in Acts, he writes to the same person. But look at what he says in verse 3. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, in the Greek there, he says, I researched and researched and researched everything I could find from now all the way to the beginning. I have also decided to write an accurate account. That does not mean the other two were not accurate. He is just coming to write a really um, in-depth version. For you, most honorable Theophilus, most excellent or honorable, which gives us a hint this is a well-educated, high-ranking, probably government official. It's also based on the uh, verse in Luke 1.4. So you can be certain, here's the purpose of the Gospel of Luke and of Acts. So you can be certain of the truth of everything you have been taught. Luke wants his readers to be certain. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, the only thing is uh, certain in life is death and taxes. You can be certain of death and taxes. Or I've also heard the only thing certain in life is uncertainty. Okay? I've heard both of those. Well, besides death and taxes, there are some other things you can be certain of. You can be certain of heartbreak. You can be certain of joys. We can be certain of pain and sorrow. We can also be certain that there will be times of happiness and love. Right here, Luke is wanting all of us to know, anybody who's going to come into contact, he wants you to be certain of the truth. Truth does not change. And we really need to hear this and understand this in today's time. Truth does not change. There is no such thing as your truth and my truth. Those are called opinions. Okay? We can have differences of opinions, but truth cannot change. Truth is universal. Because my truth is hockey is the best sports. 
And if you disagree, then you're wrong. If truth is my truth. But my opinion is hockey is better. Now that's different. uh, Luke wants you to know the truth. He wants everyone to be certain of their salvation. I've heard so many people say, I just don't know if I'm saved. Read Luke. He wants you to be certain of your salvation. And because of this, Luke shows more detailed knowledge of Christ's life and significantly is supposed to help us grow in certainty of our truth, of God's truth, and certainty of our salvation. So as we begin to examine the book of Luke and the highlight his focus on Jesus as the Son of Man, we're going to divide this book into three categories. Okay? Three categories. First, we see the coming of the Son of Man. Luke talks about this. The first three chapters are all about the entrance of Jesus into the world and into his ministry. Most of these chapters, the first three, are used at Christmas time. It's where we get one of the best detailed descriptions of Christmas events. The announcement of the angel uh, Gabriel to the Virgin Mary. We see um, she would become the mother and her response to it. Mary would submit to it. And I know how familiar we are with these verses. Just because we hear them a lot, we cannot miss the main point of these first three chapters here. When Jesus, the Son of Man, enters this world, it is an intentional attempt of God to be close to us so He could be accessible to us in our times of need. He purposely came to be with us so we could get to Him. Are you certain that God is there for you? Because that's what Luke is going to tell you. That when you are in need, we have families who are going through struggles here. We have people who are going through times that are just tough. And Luke wants you to know, Jesus came intentionally so that you could have access to the throne room of God. Isn't this a great beginning of the book? The coming. Remember, he said, though, from... The beginning is what Luke said. He researched all of it. We'll look at Isaiah 7.14. All right, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call Him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We need to, if you have a, a digital or a physical Bible, you need to highlight that word Emmanuel. The name that means God with us. And this establishes the truth that God is no longer distance. He is no longer separated. He has bridged that gap to come to us living amongst us. To show the humanity of Jesus, of Him being the Son of Man, of um, Emmanuel to us, Luke provided Christ's genealogy. We already went over the genealogy in Matthew. And it took us to David. Okay, It, it took us in the royalty. If you examine the one in Luke chapter 3, you examine that genealogy. Instead of tracing our line of Jesus from Abraham to David, as Matthew did, Luke goes all the way to Adam. He goes all the way to the beginning of mankind. And the only reason why he would approach this way was to show that he is legitimately from the human line. That he purposely is from us. And what was it in the beginning One will come from you who will crush, while he hurts your heel, you will crush his head. And it is from that line that Jesus comes, the Son of Man. 
And just in case you ever hear criticism that the genealogy of Luke is different compared to the genealogy of Matthew, because people are out there going to say, well, they don't line up together, so therefore they're all wrong. Okay, Bible scholars can explain Matthew's genealogy is both uh, based on Joseph's family, while Luke's genealogy is based on Mary's. And they're showing both sides here. And as we've said in the past two Sundays, the Gospels don't contradict, they complement to give us um, more comprehensive knowledge of our Savior. The coming of the Son of Man was that first section of the book. Next, in chapters 4 through 21, so you have 1 through 3 is the coming. The next section, 4 through 21, we can see the compassion of the Son of Man. So we have the coming and now the compassion. In these chapters, we find Jesus personally seeking the oppressed people and outcasts of society. How many of us like to go outside of our comfort zone to step into the realm of weirdness? Of what we think is weird, right? What we're comfortable with. Blaine raised his hand. Everybody's weird to Blaine. And Blaine is weird to everybody. But we like our little comfortable spots, okay? So if you like Fords, Ford people are your people. If you're a GM person, those are your people. And you don't want to intermix there because you just might get tainted by the better version. We, we like our certain things. If you like this style of music or this, we don't want to break out. Well, Jesus desperately sought out of his comfort zone to find compassion for the people who were not like him. So much so, he left the comfort of the throne room of heaven to step into humanity, to step into pain and sorrow, to help these people who purposely denied and betrayed God, give them a chance so that they could come to him. That's compassion. Jesus went out of his way to help them. And Luke introduces the second part of the life of Jesus by going to the synagogue. In chapter 4, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring the good news, the Leon, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives be relieved, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Right here, Jesus takes Old Testament and he says, this is me. This is fulfilled in me. God has come to you. The Son of Man is here to serve and help you. It embodies the earthly ministry of Jesus as the Son of Man. Jesus did not come to inflict punishment on lost sinners. He came to offer compassion. Now, how did Jesus, the Son of Man, show compassion? He showed compassions and healings. Like I said, Luke shows more of these healings than the other Gospels. In Luke 5, it says, In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with advanced case of leprosy. Kids, do you know what leprosy is? Leprosy is this disease on your skin that makes it rot and fall off while you're still alive. Okay? How graphic do we want to get, parents? So, hey, I said parents, not youth. Shush. Okay. I wish that worked at home. <laughs> so, um, you could have leprosy and your skin would rot. The smell. You ever drove by a carcass on the side of the road, you know, roadkill? That's what's coming out of your hands or your legs, okay? That's that leprosy. And notice it says an advanced case. 
That could mean that this guy had no hands because it had already fallen off. His ears could be gone. His nose. Who's hungry for lunch? So Jesus met this... Yeah, all the kids. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. And all the moms are going, whoa. Okay. So Jesus met a man with advanced leprosy. And when this man saw Jesus, he bowed his face... Uh, he bowed with his face to the ground. This leprous... See, man, this one with advanced fell to the ground, put his face in the dirt. You want to know how low he thought of himself? He put himself way down there and he begged to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And here's where we see the compassion of the Son of Man. Jesus reached out and touched him. My, my grandparents were hog farmers. And um, when Grandpa came in from the hog farm, I didn't touch him. Grandpa smelled bad when he said, it was like, go get cleaned up. Now I can hug you, Grandpa. My brother played football. And when he'd come in from practice, you needed to be 10 feet away from him. And there was no way my mom would sit there and say, give me, give me a hug and kiss. You'd go shower. Now you can do that. This advanced leprous man fell on the dirt. He's got leprosy and stench. And the first thing Jesus does is reach out and touch it. You don't touch a leprous, a leprous person. That's how it gets on you. These people were kicked out of society. They had to live in a tent on the side of town and nobody could go see them. You had to stay at a distance so you didn't get sick either. And the first thing Jesus does, He touches him. He didn't heal him first. That's what I do. Oh yeah, be healed. Now I'll touch you. But Jesus showed compassion. He reached out and touched him. And then He spoke, I am willing. Just like it said in, um, earlier in Isaiah, He came to be Emmanuel, to be the Son of Man. He reached out. I am willing. He touched him. And then the leprosy disappeared. This passage is the first record of Jesus healing a sick, person, a sick person in Luke. And notice, if the man was sick with leprosy, Jesus didn't hesitate. You ever wonder if God's going to be there for you? He didn't for this. Why would He hesitate for us? What a great demonstration of His compassion. You can see it so many times where Jesus, the Son of Man of Emmanuel, showed His compassion while healing other people. We can also see other parts of His compassion in His teachings. In His teachings that Luke records, you can see so much of the heart of Jesus. Look here in Luke 10. But wanting to justify Himself, He said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied and said, The man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he encountered robbers. They stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. So kids, here's what it is. This guy's traveling. He's got a bunch of money. And these robbers beat him up, steal everything, and leave him basically naked on the side of the road, bloody and probably unconscious. It's not a nice place. And by coincidence, there was a priest. Well, that'd be like the preacher. 
who was going down that road, and when he walked by and he saw this guy unconscious, bloody, without a pulp, he looked at him, and he passed by on the other side. So the priest, the one who's ordained by God, looked at him and said, no thank you, and walked away this way. A Levite also, another person who is devout and believes in God, also when he came to that place, saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, you know, the closest thing we got to a Samaritan around here is somebody from Garrett. Okay? <laughs> Not the name, the locomotive people. Okay? You know, that's just that city we don't want to deal with over there. They're on the other side of the Cal County. Yes. Well, Jesus would say, then a Garrett person walked over and saw somebody from St. Joe that we already turned a blind eye to, and this Garrett person, this Samaritan, felt compassion. Came to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine over them, so he bandaged them, put ointment and healing things on him. He put him on his own animal. You know what that means? He had to pick him up. He had to get close. He had to touch him. Took him to an inn and took care of him. He didn't just drop him off somewhere. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper said, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, when I return, I'll pay it. So I'll personally do it. I've got to go over here, but I will keep paying for this man's hospital bills, and I'm just going to trust you to do what's best. Now, which of these three, Jesus says, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? This man said, the one who showed compassion, and Jesus said, then go and do the same. In his teachings, Jesus is wanting his people to understand what compassion is and to do that themselves. This parable was genuinely shocking in Jesus' Jewish ears because of the Samaritan. Despised and, and just rejected by anything of them, Jesus elevates. So it's not your lineage. It's not your job, it's your character, the character of compassion. Jesus was driving across that the essential was essential that God is more pleased with tangible gestures of love and compassion than outward religiosity of so-called followers of God. I don't care how many times you go to church, are you showing compassion of Jesus in how you live? I don't care how much you put in the offering. Are you living a compassionately filled Christ life? Christ life there. If we are believers of Jesus Christ, we are called to live in our faith by ministering to the oppressed and broken people. James, the book of James reinforces this in 127. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. You want to be a real in God's eyes, religious person, have compassion and don't let the world ruin you. That's what it just said right there. Well, how do you have compassion? Read the book of Luke and follow that example. God wants us to be his loving hands to touch the desperate and broken world like the leprous man. Jesus also showed compassion by seeking out sinners. Luke 19, um, Dustin read that, post, that passage earlier. The tax collector, Jesus, en route to Jerusalem, made a side trip to, direct, to Jericho and invited himself. I like that. Hey, Zacchaeus, get down. I'm coming to your house. I'm coming to your house for dinner. 
But in Luke 7, 19, 7, when the people saw this, they began to complain, saying, He is going to be with the guest of this man who is a sinner. The community said, Ew. That's dirty. That's a sin. This man of God is associating with one of the lowlifes? Somebody of that stature? Sinful lifestyle? I mean, this guy squeezed extra money out of us, and now Jesus is going there? Everyone in the community gave attention to the sinfulness of Zacchaeus and neglected to see the compassion of Jesus. Do I need to say that again? The people focused on the sinfulness of someone else instead of the compassion of Christ. Don't we do the same thing? Somebody's trying to minister someone. You're really going to go over there and talk to them? And we look at that, the sinfulness, the darkness. Well, didn't Jesus call us to be the light? You know how they're going to get out of the darkness? is by bringing the light to them. By stepping out of our comfort zone. Stepping out of the throne room of heaven. And coming down with the real light of service, of love, of compassion. And saying, here, this is what God did to me and he can do it to you too. Fast forward, Jesus left Zacchaeus a changed man. Not only did he stop defrauding other people, he restored what he'd taken from them fourfold. How many of you'd like that from the government? If they defrauded you, they're going to pay you back four times over what they took. I think you'd all be doing your taxes real quick then. Then he also generously gave half of his riches to the poor. That's not a tithe, people. I was taking a book out of the chapter of Jesus' compassion and living it out faithfully right then. Stopping here in Luke 19, we see the focal point of Luke's gospel. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's what the, the whole central point of. The Son of Man. He came, remember the beginning of the book of Luke, the coming of the Son of Man. He came to seek, that's compassion, and to save the lost. Who is coming? The Son of Man, the Messiah, the one who was prophesied. Why did He come? To show that compassion. And ultimately, the Son of Man came to save the lost, which means the Son of Man came to go to the cross. The cross of the Son of Man. The last section of this book of Luke is the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Both of these acts were necessary for accomplishing the saving work to help mankind come back into constant commitment um, of, into a relationship with God. Although we won't be able to read these last three chapters together, I want to highlight a portion of the crucifixion story, which only Luke mentions in so much detail because it encapsulates the theology of the cross. Look what it says, Luke 23, verses 39. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffs, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. There's three guys up on the cross, Jesus in the center, and two other criminals. And the one who's hanging there, kids hear this, he looks at Jesus and says, if you're so powerful, save me. Save yourself and get me off this cross. And really what he's saying is, you're pathetic. You're stuck up here just like me. 
But then verse 40, the other criminal protested. So we got one criminal over here saying, you're nothing up here, Jesus, just like me. And the other one has to shout out around Jesus to get to the other guy because they weren't real close. We're talking 20 to 30 feet apart. And he yells back at him, don't you fear God? Even when you have been sentenced to die, he's basically, do you remember where you are? Focus on God, not this guy. Focus on what you're doing against God. We deserve to die. Right there, we see a humbleness in this guy. We deserve. I accept my faith. The other one's like, no, you're pathetic. You're up here just like me. But this one, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he turned to Jesus Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. All all I want you to do is just have a thought of me. Can you do that? I am hanging everything I have on this cross except for one thing. Will you just think of me? And that's enough hope for me to just know that you would think of me in heaven. And Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't sit there and say, be healed and then I touch you. Instead, he reaches out and he assures you today. I assure you, be certain of this Today, you will be with me, Emmanuel, and we're going to be in the kingdom of God. Forget the sins here on earth. They're done. I am taking you to heaven. That's the compassion of Christ on the cross. And Luke wants you to be certain of it. You can either be like this guy here who says, Oh, I'm good enough. Why can't you do anything? Or you can say, I deserve to die. Just Think of me, Jesus. And he will reach out before he says anything. And he will heal you, bringing you to him and say, I am willing. Now let's go home. There are some very deep, essential doctrines in these verses that we can't miss out on. Luke 1, to make sure we are certain of them. Jesus identified with sinners. Not because he did sin, but because he took the sins of the world Onto him. He identifies with you. We're, we're all getting really sick of who identifies as what. It's just a, it's a crazy time to have all this. Forget all that and look what the Son of Man did. I identify with you, not as you. I will take your sins that you deserve. I will take your punishment and put them on me. I will identify with you so that you can identify with God. That's what he wants to do. Jesus did this because of Emmanuel. God with us. Because he is the Son of Man. The one who came, who gave compassion and went to the cross. Isaiah 53, 5. But He, the coming one, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. By His wounds, we are healed. Because of this, there are only two potential responses. Both are showcased on those crosses next to Jesus. One is unbelief in rejecting Jesus, or there is faith in receiving Jesus. Those are the only two options we have. When you come into an encounter with Christ, you either leave and reject or you receive and allow Him to change you. One way leads to death. The other way leads to eternal life in paradise with Jesus. One is 
empty and painful, and the other one is assured. You can be certain of the truth that today you will be with me in paradise, he says. Jesus, the Son of Man, is a necessity in the work of salvation. Jesus needed to become the human being because he could re- represent all of the human race on the cross. He could die for our sins. There is no way he would die without becoming a man. He stepped out and became us so that we could step out and live with God. And because of that, because he accomplished that work, he can give forgiveness to everyone who will receive that. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, I have a great need for Christ, and I have a great Christ for my need. Just look at that phrase. Do you have a great need? That need for forgiveness? That need for compassion? That need for relevance? That need for acceptance? You have this great need that is weighing on you, and you know what Jesus is saying? I can do all that. I can do that and more and give you the certainty that today, if you will accept it, if you will let me walk beside you as the Son of Man, I will walk with you into the throne room of heaven. I love the book of Luke. Showing the humanity, the strugglings of Jesus here on this earth, and still giving us the surety that he will instantly reach out and bring the healing we need. You need that. We want to make sure you have that time. Not to come and offer it to us, but that we can come together, come to the foot of the cross, to, to the one who took the sins and say, you just remember me, please. And then hear the faithful compassion of the Son of Man who will reach out and save you. You need that today. Won't you come and let us know? We can talk with you in the back and pray with you. But don't leave being unchanged. Don't leave rejected. Let's stand and let's go to God right now. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you that he could be such a a wonderful, tangible way to get with you, to come into contact with you as our Savior. I thank you, God that you stepped out of the throne room, that you became Emmanuel just as you promised from the beginning. God, help us to forget to, uh, to forget our doubts. Forgive us of those times. Let us take hold of the truth to stand and proclaim that you are the Son of the living God, our Savior. And as we come back together to lift you up and worship God, hear this with joy. Hear the truth in our words, in our hearts. Because in your name we proclaim and pray. Amen.